give of our tithes and offerings, we remember that this week is Thanksgiving. We remember that we just celebrated baptism and God's faithfulness to us and that what we offer to God in faith is received and, and blessed and that we give truly out of an abundance, but we give out of commitment and from a posture in our hearts that trusts that God is at work. And in the same way, we trust that God is at work in the reading of the word and that God is at work among us as we hear God's word together um, and as we pray together, as we spend time together in the word. So I invite you at this time also to open your Bibles to John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. John is in the New Testament, and so you'll find yourself through the minor prophets, through some uh, different books, then Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians is a little bit further along. So in John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15, this is a familiar story to many. This is the feeding of the 5,000. And it might seem almost like um, it was planned that we would have a sermon about a text about a lot of food being offered right before Thanksgiving. It was almost as if it was planned that way. But as we turn our attention to John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15, let's pray together. God, as we just sang those words, that you lead us by the path, but we might only see one step in front of us. We pray that you may make good on your promise, that your word may be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, that by your Holy Spirit at work in the word and within our hearts, that we may be inspired to follow you faithfully, to be your disciples with great perseverance, and to live out the new life in Christ with great joy and sincerity. Speak, O Lord, for we, your servants, listen for your voice. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen. John chapter 6. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him, because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy even enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. 
When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the, with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. But Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When I was in college, I served on the freshman orientation staff for a few years. And the whole point of that group was to welcome the new freshmen, help them get their bearings on campus, and make sure that they started the year well. And of course, the different things that orientation staff, or O staff, as we were called, because that fit on shirts easier, the main things we did were a lot of information, a lot of wayfinding. Uh, so some of it was informative, some of it was entertaining, just to let people know um, what they could expect on campus life. And some of it was distinctly spiritual, to welcome and invite all of the incoming freshmen into the rhythms of worship and prayer and study that was part of the culture of the place. And so it was, as every year, we gathered for the last day of orientation the freshmen were invited to come to a worship service in the chapel. And other students were also showing up on campus this day. It was kind of the day where everyone's showing up again and people are reuniting with old friends that they haven't seen through the summer and the freshmen are just invited to come and to worship. And so the chaplain at the time, Harlan Van Ort, would say that the service would, would never be all that well attended, but it was meaningful for those who showed up. And so we don't do things better or less better based on how many people we expect, but we do our best to make sure it's a meaningful time for all. But it's not going to be that well attended. As was our custom, we closed that service with communion and then a song of response, and then we dismiss people to go and spend time with friends in their dorms. So not too much bread, really, because we didn't expect that many people. So the service was open, and people started to show up, and more people started to show up. And we noticed not only was it a very strong showing of the freshman class, but, but there, were, there were all kinds of folks, upperclassmen, who were coming as well. Entire wings were coming from the dormitories together. Freshmen, sophomores, juniors, seniors, all were coming to worship together. Because in addition to missing their friends, a lot of the upperclassmen missed the rhythms of worship. And so the service that we had planned for a fair few we saw as the chapel rows began to fill up, as people started sitting in the balcony, which we were anticipating having to rope off the back rows because Northwestern is a reformed college after all, so you know it fills up from the back. Trying to herd people forward was always a challenge. But there were no ropes because there were no open seats. The sanctuary was full. The balcony was lined along the perimeter. And Northwestern's chapel is not a small place. Harlan said, as we watched the chapel fill up, well, <laughs> looks like we're going to run out of bread. It is what it is. So the service went well, 
And then I was assigned to be one of the bread holders for communion. And if this was Christ Chapel, I was standing, little, little spatial differences. I was basically by that window, right in the middle, off on the side. So I had a great bird's eye view of watching all of us as we anticipated running out of bread for communion and how awkward that would be. Service went well. But then when we got to communion, it felt a little weird to know we were going to run out of bread. And people started to come up for communion. And you just had to do the best you could with what you have. And so I held my piece of bread and watched as people could come up on their, on their own and we were going to do a communion by intinction, which is taking off a piece of bread, dipping it into the cup. I always say intinction is Latin for rip and dip. It's not, by the way. <laughs> and if you think it is, you didn't hear that here. But, you know, we're, we're a little bit more sanitary here at North Holland. We cut the bread up so you only touch your piece because um, we do care about sanitation and germs. Well, college students don't really care about those things. So, you know, you're holding the bread and, and someone's, like, gripping it to rip a piece off. And we're watching as people come forward for communion. And a lot of people are coming for communion. And there we are just holding our bread, saying those words, this is Christ's body broken for you. Meanwhile, my internal dialogue is saying, you heathenist gluttons, stop taking so much bread. There's like 40 people in line behind you. We're going to run out of bread. And when I would see five or six people stand up at a time, I would look and think, okay, let the freshmen go first. This is for them. Upperclassmen, sit down. You've had communion here before. But people came for communion to celebrate Christ's body broken for us. Christ's blood shed for us, for the sins of the world, for the salvation that is offered through Christ's body and Christ's blood. And we just stood there resolutely as the bread dwindled away. I have to admit, the anxiety that I felt serving communion that day is an unholy anxiety because it comes from a very natural response of a scarcity mindset. Shouldn't we be happy that, the, that there were so many people who came to worship, shouldn't we be glad that it says something about the culture and the place that people wanted to come to worship and to have communion? Shouldn't there be room for all at Christ's table? Shouldn't there be bread abundant for all who come to partake? There would have been if we had planned ahead, but we never anticipated this many people. There should have been all those things. We should have been glad to see a great crowd, a great multitude, but instead, we were nervous and anxious and anticipating it being awkward when we simply ran out of bread. Philip also was experiencing that scarcity mindset, which is somewhat of our, our default. Shouldn't the disciples have been pleased that so many people were following Jesus, that Jesus had attracted great crowds and multitudes? Now, granted, they were coming because they saw signs of healing, but that didn't make Jesus turn them away. Shouldn't the disciples have been glad that the one who they were following, who they were beginning to understand and believe was the Messiah, the Savior? People were following Jesus also. Yet scarcity about how to feed this great multitude was tunnel visioning them away from celebrating what God was up to and getting them focused on where they didn't have enough. Philip should have been pleased 
Yet scarcity can tap into some of our deepest fears. What if we don't have enough? Deeper than that is what if I'm not enough? Friends, if anything prevents us from daring greatly or from reaching out in hospitality or from stepping out in faith for for living into the abundance of God's promises, if anything holds us back from that, it is a scarcity mindset that instead of wonders with curiosity what God can do with what we have, to wonder what our small gifts can have a great impact on this world when given to God, scarcity makes us step back and say, what if I'm not enough? What if I don't have enough? I'm not smart enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not experienced enough. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough skill for that. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough of the right words to share in that situation. I don't have enough ability to make a difference. This is the scarcity mindset that takes us away from seeing that God can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. But standing in the chapel at Northwestern, holding my loaf of bread quickly dwindling, I had no choice but to do the best I could with what I had. And people continued to come for communion. And then communion got done. Everyone who wanted to partake had come up. And we looked around, and three of us still had bread left over. It was truly, I would say, a, a lowercase m miracle that somehow everyone came more than we ever expected, and there was enough bread for everyone there. It made an impact on me, and I think of that every time I read the feeding of the 5,000 in the Gospels. Somehow, by what seemed that miracle, we had enough bread for communion. Granted, not 12 baskets left over, like when Jesus fed the 5,000, and more than 5,000. It's only 5,000 headcounts of men, of households. That's not to include all the women and children that were there. So, well, more than 5,000. Yet, we didn't have to turn anyone away that day for communion. And Jesus did not have to turn anyone away hungry because there was food for the hungry and fellowship for the lonely. There was hope for the destitute. No one had to be turned away. I found that day that what I had to offer was enough. Philip and Nathaniel and the disciples found that the small boy's lunch of five loaves and a couple of fish was enough, that there was an abundance, that there was leftovers. That small gifts offered in faith can make a great impact, more than our scarcity mindset lets us believe. And to remember that we worship a God of abundance, not abundance in the prosperity gospel kind of mindset, like if you're nice to people, then Jesus will make you wealthy. That's not how this works. But that God's promises are promises of abundance. That God's provision is that you will have enough that our mindset makes us ask, am I enough? Do I have enough? And yet in Scripture we read that all took and were satisfied. They had enough because a small gift was given to Jesus and a great impact was made. How do we make that transition 
from those, those, those voices in our head telling us that we don't have enough to get from that scarcity mindset into more of an abundance of God's promises, like we celebrated today, that Jesus is enough for Logan, and that Logan will face uncertain days because Christ lives. Probably the best way to practice moving from scarcity to a mindset of abundance of faith is to do what you can with what you have. In faithfulness, in hospitality, in stewardship, to do what we can with what we have. To see how it turned out for the feeding of the 5,000, that people were fed, and that a moment of hospitality was created, and that maybe our hospitality should sometimes be well-planned, that we want to be ready for an abundance, that we want to take into considerations like food and dietary allergies. But sometimes it's a hospitable mindset in a spontaneous moment that will make all the difference. Sometimes if we get too caught up in making it just right, we'll talk ourselves into inaction. And yet here with Jesus in this impromptu crowd, in a place where there is plenty of grass, plenty of space for people to sit comfortably and enjoy themselves, they had food. For some, it might have been their only meal that day. They had fellowship. They stayed and ate for a while. And most of all, they were getting a glimpse of hope. And some of them were down and out and destitute. And yet in this moment of being fed with an abundance left over, more left over than what they started with, Jesus was at work offering hope. Now there's more to it that Jesus gets to later in the chapter. That Jesus not only provides bread, but says, come to me all you who are hungry and believe in me and you will never thirst. That Jesus is the bread of life. And they get there. But Jesus does not turn people away and say, I'm not going to give you bread until you understand that I'm the bread of life. Jesus started with bread, meeting the people's physical needs and then continuing to teach that there is an even deeper meaning behind what was happening, that Jesus was the bread of life, that Jesus was enough, that in him, people whose lives were hard and down and out and miserable would be satisfied through Christ. This was a beautiful moment of hospitality and a starting point for people to understand who Jesus really was. And it started with bread. And it came from the source, not the wealthiest person there who could have bought, maybe bought all the people bread if they could find it all. They didn't have like mired next door. But it started coming from one little boy. One little boy whose lunch was given to Jesus a boy who is among the disciples, who is willing to do the best with what he had to make a difference. Jesus could have used manna. They did that in the Old Testament. When the people were wandering, manna came down from heaven. The people were fed with bread from heaven. But I think there's something distinct about how Jesus is showing up here. Jesus showing up in flesh and blood and waiting for someone to respond in faith. Scripture tells us that Jesus already knew what he was going to do, but he waited for someone to step out in faith, to respond, even maybe with some hesitation, but at least to say, this is what we have, and we can do the best we can with what we have. 
And so it was that 5,000 people were fed because someone dared to step out in faith to overcome their anxiety about scarcity and live into the trust that Jesus could do with our small gifts immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Trust had to be built in the disciples to see that their response of faith could actually work and make a difference. Philip and the boy had their lunch given to Andrew, given to Jesus. Ecclesiastes is one of my favorite books in the Bible. And Ecclesiastes 9 has a beautiful verse, better a living dog than a dead lion. Meaning better to not miss the moment, even if all you have to offer is meager. Because in that day, people didn't have dogs as pets. Dogs were mangy and gross. Nobody wanted dogs around. And yet in Jesus' day, in the days of Ecclesiastes, the author writes, better a living dog than a dead lion. Better to have a little bit of something to offer than to miss the moment with a grandiose opportunity. Maybe we don't have to talk ourselves out of inaction and wait until we have everything perfectly set, but to step out in faith and to trust that God will make a great impact with even our small gifts. Because it's better to be a living dog than a dead lion who missed the opportunity. Someone had to do something in John chapter 6, and God used that. It could have been manna, but instead a response was waited for. And so, friends, as we receive good gifts, and we do live with an abundance, we often give out of our abundance. When we receive good gifts, we praise God that Jesus is enough and that our needs are met. But when we deliver and offer our gifts, let's remember to do so by observing in faith what God will do. And when we can't see it, when we can't observe it, to still trust that God is at work in what God will do with what we offer. Do what you can with what you have. Keep holding your loaf of bread and offer it in faith to see what God does. Symbolically speaking, Scott and Laura, as you raise your son, you'll continue to hold your loaf of bread, representing all that you know how to do, the best, uh, the best ideas of what you have it is to be Logan's parents. There will certainly be days where you'll wonder, are we enough? Are we up for this? Keep holding your bread and offer it to God and trust that God will supply all of the needs for Logan and that God will use all that you have to offer to him to bless Logan. And also to note that this story began on a mountainside with lots of people and then it ends on a mountainside by themselves when Jesus goes off by himself. Don't forget that part of the story too. We need that time alone and away. But in the midst of it, we keep holding on to our symbolic loaf of bread, offering to do what we can with what we have. Think about that for Logan, for him to discover, maybe as Chuck said, what it'll be like for Logan to find out what gifts he has. Maybe he'll be playing water polo, maybe he'll be playing guitar, maybe he'll be doing both, but probably not at the same time. (laughs) Keep holding your loaf of bread and trust that God will make it enough. I think of our congregational meeting today. It's so easy to lose sight 
I think about 15,000 square feet of new space, and what I get hung up on week to week is what still isn't working. It's that scarcity mindset creeping back in and not seeing what God will do among us. I think about budgets and, and debt retirement campaigns, and so easy it is for the scarcity mindset to say, I don't know if I can make a difference. Those are big numbers. But we do what we can with what we have. And when we all do that together, we find that there is abundance. But it takes us all stepping out in faith to respond to what's in front of us. I think about the harvest feast on Wednesday night and what it is to say, you know what? I can at least make this. I can bring this. I can show up. Uh, I don't really like meeting new people, but maybe I can just go over and try to fill in a table. Or maybe some families will split up to allow themselves to, to be people who can mingle with our guests. Knowing for some people who come every year, it's their only Thanksgiving meal. And they come here to receive bread because there's food for the hungry. But in those spaces where there is fellowship for the lonely are the places where we not only share bread, but we share the good news that Jesus is the bread of life. And that whoever comes to him will never be hungry. Whoever believes in him will never thirst. Whoever trusts in him will know the forgiveness of sins and the promise of eternal life. Think about all of the areas where we have small gifts to give, where we can make a great impact. But we do it together. We do it in faith. We do it even in the small ways. I think of Grethel Nykamp in the years when she was homebound when she still had the use of her hands, she didn't take much time to lament what she couldn't do because she focused on what she still had. And if you knew Grethel, you would know that every time you asked her how she was doing, she would say, oh, could be better, but I could be a lot worse. I've got a lot to be thankful for. Uh-huh. And she wrote letters because she had her mind she had her eyesight. She had the use of her hands. She wrote letters to encourage. She did what she could with what she had, with a, with a mindset of abundance of what God could do, not with a scarcity of what she couldn't do. So whether it's raising our children, whether it's approving a budget, whether it's bringing something to the harvest feast, whether it's going to a family gathering where there's someone that we really don't want to see and we're looking that God will give us enough of the right words, whether it be going into our week, whatever faces us, to trust that there will be enough because Jesus is enough for us. Don't let scarcity scare us out of action or intimidate us out of commitment or disempower our faith in God's abundance or hold us back from doing what we can with what we have. So we pray, we encourage, we tithe, we commit, we walk alongside of one another, trusting that in God's abundance, our hospitality will provide food for the hungry and fellowship for the lonely and a picture of abundance, that there will be enough because Christ is enough. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. God, we give small gifts to you. But we know that you, O oh Lord, as king of the universe, can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Help us to offer what we offer in faith. Help us to see 
the world with your eyes. Give us the mindset of what we can do for your kingdom's sake, for spreading the good news of you and your good name. In all of this, Lord, we pray that you strengthen our faith, sustain our convictions, renew a, spirit, a steadfast spirit within us for every day, every hour, that your kingdom may grow. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.